0: We all know that developing a great game is one thing, but developing a great game business can be something else entirely. That's why some of the top game developers in the industry use Iron Source's game growth platform to turn their amazing games into amazing game businesses. Now, when it comes to content, these guys don't mess around. You may have heard of the Level Up podcast and Medium blog, which feature game industry experts talking all things game design, development, and growth. Head to ironsource.com to learn more. That's www.ironsrc.com. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with
1: AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. But what is attribution platform? Why do we need it? And why is AppsFlyer the best in the business? Brian Murphy, head of games at AppSlyer. Can you answer these questions? Sure, Uh, right now marketing budgets are being impacted. Uh, So the need for strong attribution and measurement partners is critical. Marketers should be focusing on what's working best. So mobile measurement and attribution partners who help provide uh, those insights are even more important. Mobile attribution platforms determine which campaigns, partners, and channels delivered each app install and marketers rely on these insights to measure and optimize their marketing performance for both user acquisition and retargeting campaign. With one trillion in-app events measured each month, AppsFlyer is the most robust technology platform and mobile measurement partner for any game developer to distribute and engage their application to a worldwide consumer base. Our scale and data insights provide customers with the unique ability to make informed marketing decisions. In short, AppsFlyer gives you the data and tools to market your games effectively. So there you have it folks. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself one of the best attribution platforms out there.
0: Hello, everybody. Today we are super excited to have a really amazing guest with us. Likely no introduction needed, but we are joined by Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic Games. And we'll be talking about the metaverse, and certainly Fortnite is being held up by many people as indications of what the metaverse may eventually look like. However, the specific focus of what we will discuss isn't so much what the potential incarnation of the metaverse could possibly become, but instead, if the metaverse is the next frontier, if this is the next big platform, then how do we build an efficient and fair economy for this new platform? So, just to kick things off, Tim, and by the way, thanks again for being here. And just to go straight into it, could you talk to us about what you mean when you talk about building the metaverse as an economic sphere?
1: Sure. First of all, nobody knows exactly what the metaverse will be. We have a lot of fictional references on it. Um, Some parts of it, most of it was written before like social networks even existed Um, and so we're really improvising and guessing a lot about this. But yeah, the metaverse is going to be some sort of real-time 3D social medium where instead of uh, sending messages and pictures to each other asynchronously, you're together with them and in a virtual world, um, and interacting and having fun experiences, which might span anything from purely games to purely social experiences. Um, The other critical element of the metaverse is it's not just built by one mega corporation, right? It's going to be the work, the creative work of millions of people who can each add their own elements to it um, through content creation and programming um, and design, um, any other way of adding value. Um, So it will be a massively participatory medium of a that we really haven't seen yet. And even though, you know, Fortnite and Minecraft and Roblox each uh, manifest some aspects of it, I think we're still pretty far from having the thing. But the talk about this thing is, it's not just the work of one company. It's not just one company's product or revenue stream, right? We're talking about a mass participatory media, which needs to be an economy. If there's not an economy underlying this thing, and companies won't be able to form to create content that uh, builds out this world. Um, people won't be able to profit from the work and it would just be yet another big tech company extracting money from yet another business. Um, and so the critical thing with this effort is to build out not just a 3D plant, uh, platform and set sort of technical standards, but also a fair economy um, in which all creators can participate, make money and be rewarded um, in an economy with both uh, Principle is ensuring that customers are treated fairly, that there is not you know, massive fraud or scheming um, or scams, uh, but also one um, in which um, companies have the freedom to release their own their own content um, and to profit from it. Um, you know, they, they say something is only a platform when the majority of the profit is made uh, by, uh, by creators rather than the company that built the thing, right? Windows is a platform. Gee, is iOS a platform? Um, not sure, actually. Uh, it's looking more and more like Apple's little contraption. Um, uh, Android certainly a platform. Uh, there's you know, dozens of app stores and different things. But the goal is to build out this thing as a platform, right? Um, and, and figure out rules of an economy that both uh, protect uh, the consumers participating in the media, but also uh, ensure that there's robust competition in all spheres so that the best creators can succeed and they can really profit from their work and they can grow businesses around it.
0: And Tim, when you think about the economy, are you, or should we be most concerned that there's just enough economics for the different people in the value chain that are delivering the service and for creators? Or is there something else about the economy that we should be worrying about?
1: Well, when you're talking about something like the metaverse, um, the economy should actually be fairly complex and robust, right? You have a lot of uh, different companies who can provide services that play a role in this. Um, and if you look at the Web economy, the economy is exists around the world wide web. Uh, you have some websites, uh, there are commercial businesses, you have an advertising economy, you have a payments processing economy, and there's a big supply chain behind this, right? Uh, if you have a website that takes money, um, then you can work with PayPal. And, you know, there's a really competitive uh, infrastructure there where all the payment processors compete um, to earn clients business. And there's many of them um, and some very robust systems. To enable that um you know in the case of the metaverse you're also talking about huge shared online experiences that means somebody's going to be hosting millions of servers uh, that are running all of the simulations that contribute to these metaverse experiences whether they're games like fortnite or social experiences or streaming video or anything else and you know that's going to require huge costs somebody's going to have to spend billions of dollars building data centers uh, on these to support all of this activity or using existing data centers along those lines and so you know there will be consumers spending a lot of money to buy great items and uh, purchase great consumer experiences they can enjoy but there'll also be a lot of companies and a lot of costs behind it all Um, and so you know as opposed to creating something artificial that's just entirely managed by one company like you know facebook is artificial facebook makes all the money from facebook ads you create a facebook page Facebook might make millions of dollars from ads from your page. You don't get a penny. Then there are things in between, like YouTube has ads. Creators can earn some money from ads, but still the economics are wildly tilted towards YouTube. But I would hope that the metaverse as a future medium can be a much greater engine for economic efficiency than any of the closed systems that exist today. And that we'd ultimately get to a point where a much higher percentage of uh, the profits go to creators um, than with any of these other platforms that currently exist. Um, And that when money is going to people who are not creators, it's really done through competitive dynamics to ensure that their costs and their profits are very, very reasonable relative to the service they're performing. You know, like MasterCard and Visa processing payments, charging two and a half percent, you know, they probably make one percent or half a percent of profit um, from that. um, And good for them. They deserve that as opposed to you know, a platform like iOS or Android taking 30% and probably pocketing 28% of that as profit for themselves, right? So economic efficiency is going to be a key driver of it. And economic efficiency is essential for this thing to really work and to grow. Um, wherever you've had a any form of commerce dominated by a single company that monopolizes and controls the flow of revenue and access to customers, we um, just use it to extract their, uh, you know, their profit and other companies don't grow. And I, I think the metaverse as an open platform could ultimately be an order of magnitude larger than any one company, including Epic, uh, could build entirely on our own as our own proprietary plaything.
0: So in terms of this point about the platform not being owned by a single company then, is there anything that we need to be doing now so that, because when we do look at some of the big platforms, whether it's you know Apple or Google or Amazon, that because they kind of built the platform that they kind of own it, how do we collaborate, or what do you think should be done so that it doesn't become owned by a single mega corporation? to your point?
1: Developers, we've learned a big lesson over the past 15 years. We, we were scammed, right? We, were bought, we bought into a lot of things, platforms run by big companies, on the expectation that they were open and that we'd be able to participate fairly in it. And it just turned out, in a lot of cases, that's not true. You know, brands that put their page on Facebook and were able to post messages that all of their uh, their followers could read suddenly found that, oh, now brands have to pay money in order to post messages that people who decided to follow them wanted to read, um, right? And so you have these intermediaries playing this big trick, and they played it over and over and over. They seen, signed up a platform with really loose rules, like when uh, Google Play uh, first launched as a service for installing software. You didn't have to use Google payments. Lots of companies implemented their own payment systems. And then they came in and they changed the rules. Google said, from now on, if you have a game or any sort of digital purchase, Google has to process your payments. And they took that 30%. Um, You know, Apple did that from the beginning. Um, But, you know, Apple, many years into the platform after developers thought that they had signed up for this thing and that they knew the rules, Apple started putting ads in front of everybody's searches. Search for Fortnite. The first thing that pops up is not Fortnite might be PUBG, might be Minecraft, it's whoever paid for that ad. They're putting some random ad ahead of the actual thing the actual customer is searching for. It's super anti-customer, anti-consumer, and it's also against the interests and the partnership um, with all the partners that participate in the ecosystem. And so I think as developers, all of us, all million of us, uh, developers, large and small, need to resist and refuse to continue cooperating with these platforms, um, which... You know, intermediate and obstruct us, um, and you know, are basically holding our businesses hostages to larger and larger ransom over time. That's one thing. Um, yeah, you know, we also have to work proactively to define new standards and also uh, connect all of our systems, right? I think the most plausible way the metaverse is is going to rise isn't from one company, even Epic, building this thing and forcing everybody to use it, right? It's going to be from more and more companies and brands. Connecting their products and services until you have a much, much more open thing um, that everybody participates in. You know, like uh, you know, the Epic Game Store, the store we launched, and uh, one of the things we've done is we've supported direct purchasing integration with every other PC game store uh, that's willing. Um, uh, now we also support third party stores like GOG uh, accessing the Epic library and being able to be an alternative launcher for the store. Um, we're trying to work with uh, more and more partners to connect our social systems and our account systems so that. You know, Epic friends, Epic's friend system that you build up through playing Fortnite connects with other services' friend system, so that you have all of your friends everywhere you go. Um, I think interconnecting systems is a great way to um, to to move forward with this. And I think, you know, all of the big game companies um, and even many of the ecosystem companies have come to the realization that they're never going to be the one monopoly that dominates the whole thing. And so, it's in everybody's interest to really interconnect um, and standardize over time to build this more connected world and to all benefit from it side by side with no one company dominating. And on the technical side, I think what I'm really arguing for is for a series of incremental improvements we make every month, um, month over month, until over the course of several years, they accumulate um, and and leave, leave us with something that does resemble the metaverse, right? Interconnection of social systems. You know, we have the game social system. We have Xbox Live. We have Steam. There's a Nintendo Switch. Um, there's the PlayStation Network. There are a bunch of these disconnected system, right? systems. We should start connecting them together. Um, we have several different game engines, um, each you know, competing really robustly. Um, but we need standards that we can start agreeing on. Um, and there are already some great, really great ones, like the Pixar USD scene format um, for interchanging 3D scenes. That's one. There um, are standards for materials. We need standards for networking. So you can have a multiplayer game in which some people participating are using a client built in Unreal Engine and some people participating are using a client that's built in Unity. Like really being able to create standards for interoperability so that everybody can have access to this in the future is going to be very interesting.
0: So Tim, speaking about you personally, because it's not lost on me that you're actually a conservationist. It's been publicly announced that you've salvaged a lot of forest land and things like that. And so is it fair to say that you probably as a conservationist, think more about ecosystems and the environment more than the typical person. And so from a personal perspective, is it fair to say that perhaps your personal focus in terms of metaverse will be more around the environment, the ecosystem, making sure that it's, it's a fair and vibrant sort, sort of place to be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, an ecologist uh, will tell you something quite different about ecosystems, right? Uh, you know, wolves always eat deer. A deer never eats a wolf, right? It's a it's a very unfair place in the real world. It's a very harsh, you know, survival of the fittest environment. Um, and it's the law of the jungle uh, that rules out there. And I think mankind does better, right? We have laws and principles that we operate under, you know, going back to the ancient Greek philosophers and the Renaissance thinkers um, and the enlightenment thinkers who, you know, formed a large body of modern Human rights uh, that governs you know, most of the Western world, and uh, I think we have the ability to create uh, ecosystems built on principles that are enduring and fair and lead to much greater efficiency. And you know, economic efficiency not only means you know a better environment for companies to do business, but it also means a much fairer environment for consumers, um, where everybody's competing to offer you the best product at the best price and lots of, uh, robust you know, actions to, to foster that, uh, you know, as opposed to a monopolized system where one company just dictates the roles to everybody else. You, it's like, remember, remember the cable TV industry? I guess it still exists, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't, ha- I haven't had one for a decade, a cable TV signal coming into my house, but you know, an old industry like that where the business terms are set by essentially oligarchs or oligopolies uh, dealing with each other, uh, you know, to screw the smaller, smaller players. Um, just think of how much more robust like the PC software economy is than that. Um, and how much better even still we could build uh, the metaverse um, as a as an environment, not just where everybody's running a common operating system. but Everybody's in a shared 3d environment um, in which all of these different software components can interoperate in one scene together in real time 3d um, to create entertainment experiences that go far beyond anything we have now.
0: And so in speaking of the metaverse as a probably going to be some form of creator platform, and you had talked about making sure that creator economics are viable. How should things be architected to make sure that creators do have a have viable economics? Is it really the platform fee or are there other things that we need to be thinking about?
1: Well you know there there are a lot of components to it. Um, a key realization here is that um, there's actually a lot of operating cost in this. Um, you can't compare it to like we. Epic knows the operating cost of a store. You have um, payment processing costs, two and a half to three and a half percent. You have a CDN bandwidth, which you buy from ACMI or Amazon or others, um, about one percent revenue goes to that. And you have customer service, and one or one and a half percent revenue goes to that. So a store can operate with a cost of you know, five to seven percent, and you know, anything that they charge that they make above that is profit, we charge 12%. Um, but when you're talking about something like the metaverse, you're talking about um, hosting farms of millions of servers, um, serving user content and doing real-time 3D simulations involving potentially realistic physical, physics simulations and things like that. So you're talking about entirely new components of cost. And I think what, what's most important there is transparency and competition, right? You know, right, I think we have to, we have to also be comfortable getting to this destination incrementally, right? Because Fortnite, Minecraft, Roblox aren't these open platforms built entirely on standards. And I think our best hope to get there is to adopt more and more standards um, and open up the economy more and more to get to this open state, as opposed to trying to throw this all out and start from scratch and invent some blockchain thing or whatever it is, right? We have we have some really great products that are already heading in this metaverse direction. We should just support um, steering them and in the direction we want them to go. Um, but yeah, you know, I think ensuring that everybody who's a potential supplier of critical components in operating this thing um, should have a fair chance um, to compete for everybody's business. Um, if you look at like you know, much of the game industry, other than the supply side, the you know, Apple App Store and Google Play, um, you have actually a very, very robust economic competition. If you want an engine, you can choose Unity with a one business model. It's based on a per seat license cost, um, or you can choose Epic, which is free to use, um, but carries royalty um, on profit. Or you can use like the Godot engine, um, which is free and open source, and uh, you can use it for anything you want, not pay a penny, and you can contribute your changes back to the community. Um, so you have great, great competition in the engine sphere. And then you have online services. You know, There's a huge variety of, Microsoft offers some, um, Amazon offers some GameLift and GameSparks. And then you have Steam, and then you have Epic Online Services, where we're also competing. And the great thing about this whole market is, as a game developer, you can go around and you can choose the best of all of these different components. You can use Epic Online Services or GameSparks or whatever you want. Um, You can use Unreal or Unity. And there are no unnatural barriers saying, oh, if you use Unreal, then you have to use our online services. and you have to ship on our store. We don't say anything like that. You know, every one of Epic services is open to interoperate with every competing service um, and imposes no licensing, technical or business restrictions against uh, that happening. And I think it's really critical as we build out the metaverse and build more and more open platforms out of you know what are currently just one company's game um, that we should ensure that we're opening up all parts of it to competition, um, and ensuring that the best competitors can survive uh, and win. Um, you know, even if they're competing directly with some core business of Epic or others.
0: Right. So it kind of sounds like when we look at the current creator platforms, there's like Roblox, which is kind of a closed system. It sounds like the vision that, that you're kind of supporting is one in which the the basic ecosystem is defined in some standardized way. And you, you just want to see competition at each, like every... Every point in the in the value chain or every every component of the value chain that there's a healthy competition There is is essentially is that what you're advocating for?
1: Yeah, exactly healthy competition at every point Um, and facilitated by technical interoperability standards, right? I mean, Unreal and unity compete, but what you're really doing is you're licensing one or the other and you're building your game in it and your game is either based on unreal or unity and they're totally different api's uh, you can't just move your Unity game to Unreal or vice versa. Um, but you know, as we talk about the metaverse as an open platform, we actually have to evolve to the point where we have portability of assets and eventually code um, you know, between any engine that could, could run the thing. Um, you know, we're talking about different suites of creation software for 3D modeling. You need file format standards for exchanging data so that you have the same data moving back and forth. It's not right. just enough to have competition, but you have to have enough interoperability that developers can actually pretty seamlessly move from one supplier to another uh, without losing all of their work.
0: Right. And so maybe we can actually um, talk about the dangers and not having that, which is the dangers of having more of a company that does become that mega corporation has mon- monopolistic power. And you know, it's no secret that you've been a critic of App Store taxes and the potential for that kind of 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 monopolistic organization to create restraints on trade, potential for new ideas to flourish, potential for new business models to emerge. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about that in terms of if we don't have these open standards, then what's the danger? What could potentially happen to the metaverse?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, the real risk is that these, these creator based platforms are hijacked for the benefit of a, of a corporation and, The corporation ends up ultimately extracting more profit from creators' work than the creators make themselves. And, you know, the Apple and Google story is one, you know, warning from history of the the perils of that, right? And Apple is really particularly interesting. You have one of the best businesses and most honest businesses in the world, which is selling people phones. They sell phones. They don't profit from your data or surveillance or any adversarial practices towards user when they're selling you a phone they're competing by selling premium priced phones which are awesome value and they succeed on their merits you go into a store and you can choose between an android smartphone and an apple phone and apple gets an awful lot of that business and it's completely earned by them and deserved by them because it's 100 percent apple engineers and hardware makers and uh, you know suppliers that they contracted to to make their platform but they also run a lot of the like you know, one of the most manipulative businesses in the world, which is hosting a store that prevents all other stores from existing on their platform, and extracts a 30% tax from all commerce, demands that you cannot process payments um, in games other than through us, and um, you know that 30% is a killer. Uh, for most game companies, Apple is making a lot more profit from their game than they're making themselves. Um, Apple's 30% tax is almost entirely profit to Apple. I bet their underlying costs are in the five to seven percent range. The other, you know, 25, 23% um, all goes to to profit, and it that's money that's not being reinvested in making better games. It's money that doesn't need to be reinvested in building the hardware because they're already funding that from I think the most profitable hardware business that's ever existed in history, which is the iPhone, iPhone business, right? And so. It's interesting to see that bundle of contradictions, you know, one company with two businesses and one is so extractive from other people's work and the other is so um, you know, so entirely customer focused and well deserved. Um, but, you know, it's a warning from history um and I think the really critical thing is as developers are making decisions about what platform to support. Basically, what kind of game you're building it? What kind of game you're building and what you're building it for you know, right now your decisions are you're building a mobile game for google play and the app store or you're building a pc game for steam and the epic game store or you're building a console game and maybe you're doing pc and console together right i think we the world needs a plethora of additional options you should be able to build a game within fortnite um and that should be such an attractive prospect financially that a lot of developers consider it and a lot of highly acclaimed developers who could make a lot of money from the app store or uh, from uh, from console, which is instead to make their game in Fortnite. And that needs to be facilitated by us uh, building an economy to achieve that. And same thing with Minecraft and Roblox and, you know, the other the other upstart efforts um, to build uh, games as platforms.
0: Right. And so when you talked about how you determined the kind of revenue share for Epic store. It sounded like you just determine the cost and determine a fair markup. It's kind of like a cost plus model. And so is that, in your opinion, what Apple and Google should be doing? Should Apple and Google's platform fee be like 12% as well?
1: Oh, yeah, I think first and foremost, these platforms should be truly open to competition. You can come in and say the revenue sharing should be X or Y, but Really, the core problem here is that the revenue sharing is not determined by free market competition. If the revenue sharing is determined by free market competition, then maybe Apple and Google can charge a premium um, if their services warrant it. Um, but right now, you just have a, a rates that are completely disconnected from any competitive um, barometer, and uh, so they're you know not honest rates um, and they're distorted, and for different reasons. Right? You know, Apple says. You can't have any other stores on iOS, and you can't process payments other than through us. And so it's very clear on Apple that the only way to do business on iOS as a game developer is through them in their app store, unless you're building a website or something, which is in nowhere near competitive in capabilities. Google is in a different position, because they built Android as an open platform, but then they built a kind of maze of business dealings um, with carriers and with OEMs, um, which make it de facto closed. It's kind of, I've called it a fake open platform. The Android software is an open platform. The Google services suite that uh, everybody has to take in order to use any of Google services, they're all forced bundled together in one massive package. You have to take it or leave it. Um, it really locks down the platform so that you can't install a store and have it, a third party store, and have it operate on par with Google Play. You know, And you can use the Fortnite installation experience as a comparison, right? Uh, To buy an app on Google Play, you click the Google Play icon, type the name, search, maybe scroll past an ad that they put in front of you, and then click one button, and you're playing the game. Fortnite, it's something like 12 steps and 12 to 20 taps on your screen to get there. Go to our website. You search for Fortnite. You go to our website. You click the Get Fortnite button. And if this were Windows... There would be two more buttons and then it would be installed on your machine and you could play. You know, Windows is an open platform that has good user protections to prevent malware, but it's easy to install stuff. Whereas on Android, you have to go through this incredibly complicated series of uh, screens, uh, some epic explaining what to do on the next screen and then some design, you know, by Google has awesome UX designers. And so when there's a really bad user experience or U- UI screen in a Google product, you know it's intentional, right? Because they're better than that. Um, and you know you just have to click through a whole bunch of these screens to give it permission, to give it permission. Finally, it downloads Fortnite. Um, and then every time we have an update, uh, you know there's potentially more more obstruction screens. And if we try to open up the Epic Games Store on Android, then every time you install a new app, go through another series of uh, scary dialogues, each one of which is designed to scare the user off. Right. So on an open platform like Android should be and was is advertised as being. Um, all stores should operate at parity, right? Once you've decided to install another store, like the Epic Games Store, it should have equal access to the system software as Google's own store has. So that it should be able to see install and update software as seamlessly as Google Play does. I mean, that's just a basic principle of competition. If you allow other stores, but you make them really, really suck, then that's just fake competition that they're creating. and. There's no question you do this. Mac is almost like this. All stores operate at a slight disadvantage to Apple store, but not much. Um, Windows is totally store parity. Um, Steam, Epic Games Store operate just as well and actually <laughs> in a lot of cases better um, than Microsoft's own store uh, you know the Windows, uh, the Microsoft Store on Windows. You know, and uh, you know, we need to get to that point on all of these platforms. You know, There's no question every platform needs to be a real, real open platform supporting stores side by side but also, even in the in these stores which have you know ninety nine percent plus market share or ninety five percent or whatever, and excluding China um, at least, you know these stores need to be open up, open to let each developer choose which components to use in their software. If they want to use Epic's friend system; they can use Epic's friend system. If they want to use PayPal instead of the Apple payment service. They should be free to use that. Um, so, I mean, really two principles. Number one is real open platforms where users can install software and developers can release software without permission of a megacorp. And number two is just this uh, ability for apps from any source uh, to be able to use services uh, of their choosing and not be forced, uh, you know, through compulsion and tying to, uh, to use, you know, especially use the non-competitive services like the iOS app store. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I believe that this 30, your original question was about what, Okay, 30% is too high, what should the number be? I think that number should be set by competition. I think if competition settles in, it's gonna be set somewhere in the you know seven to twelve percent range. Epic yeah, Epic's able to operate our, our store on a 12% fee. Um, and we're doing a lot of marketing and things and other forward investments um, that make the store you know diseconomic as long as we're paying you know hundreds of millions of dollars for various rights and things um and marketing campaigns. However, um, the core economics of the store, the transactional economics, are are profitable right now. Um, we make, a, I think it's about 5% profit from each transaction we process um, at 12% fee. And that's without huge economies of scale. I think Epic has processed, it's more than a billion dollars of direct transactions um, with customers um, so far, but far less than uh, Apple and Google. And with massive economies of scale like they have, who knows what the the numbers could be.
0: Right. So given that you guys are in the driver's seat for delivering a metaverse, so is it fair to say that we could expect metaverse platform fees from you guys if you guys were doing it to be in the 7 to 12% range?
1: Well, oh, I, mean, I think what we need is a component in economy because you can't compare this directly to an app store. It might cost us more than 700% just to run the servers for the right. thing. And so I think, and we also have to approach this gradually because we have this game that works called Fortnite. Um, we need to turn it to an, into a much more open system um, that still works, and we need to do that without ever breaking it. Right? right? If we do something that causes all the Fortnite users to leave, then by the time we build the best the new system, we'll have lost them, and uh, the whole effort will have been for naught. And you know, maybe some other company, maybe Facebook, will have taken over the space. And so we have to transition from where we are to where we're going. And I think my point is, as we do this, we need to do it in a way that ensures that all major Cost centers of the equation are opened up in due course um, to com- competition, um, so that there's complete transparency of where your costs are going, and users, developers have the right to choose among the different components. If you look at Roblox, I heard from a Roblox curator who was complaining that Roblox um, only pays creators 20% of revenue. Right. I was getting really mad about that, but then I actually backed up and thought, was what is their revenue, what's their operating cost for building out their game and their toolset, and what's their cost of operating servers? I don't know, but I'm not sure that their economics are wrong, right? Um, But but there's no transparency, so you can't really know, right? But uh, if if it turns out that a low monetizing game that has a huge number of users might have operating costs that are, you know, leave it with a 20% profit margin. And if that's uh, the case, then I think the key is that the economics be completely transparent, but also that you know, if some super high, highly efficient game that has low server costs and high monetization is able to you know make an eighty percent profit margin, um, then that's great too. Um, yeah, but I think transparency and uh, open competition there are the critical elements of it.
0: And just speaking about cost, now we've seen that with new platforms like Google Stadia, for example. Costs and business models seem to be stymieing the potential, you know, proliferation and the popularity of that service. When you think about costs and business model for the metaverse, are there any specific concerns you have in terms of cost categories or
1: business model? Well, you know, I think if you itemize all costs, Associated with operating a game, um, you get a big list, um, and it has a lot of items. They're small costs, um, but when they add when you add them all up, they're pretty high, right? Yeah, you, know, you have everything from download bandwidth for updates to server hosting costs to the database costs for operating the thing. You have a customer support team. You have uh, operations teams that make sure the servers are running. Um, you have payment processing and if you just look at the agreements that Visa you uh, sign when you become a Visa or Mastercard merchant, um, you don't actually sign with just one vendor. Uh, you have a whole repertoire of different services that are all part of that processing a credit card transaction. There's a little insurance component that might take 0.2% um, to insure against fraud, and there's you know lots and lots of different services um, you know pertaining to accounting and bookkeeping and tax and everything else. And uh, you know I think the, the key is. Setting up a market where developers can choose among components with full awareness of their costs and, can choose, and competitors can provide their own components that compete on cost uh, is it's the key thing that keeps businesses honest, right? Whether you're running an oil refinery or a vegetable stand, uh, knowing the cost of all of the different components going into the business are key to um, you know, ensuring that it operates smoothly. So one
0: question I actually wanted to ask you about when we are talking about the dangers of monopoly and something that's actually kind of relevant in the news today is really around this, this issue about information and data. And so one of the big dangers of monopoly ownership of the platform has been the potential abuse of platform owners to compete against participants of their platform using customer data. So in the game industry we've seen ad networks compete against their customers, potentially having used customer ad and user acquisition data. Amazon's been in the news also reportedly having used customer data to compete both from its sort of corporate venture fund, as well as using seller data to compete against those sellers on amazon.com. And to some degree, in, you know, I, there's a potential, it, obviously I don't think it happens, but with Epic as well, Unreal Engine, Epic Publishing and Epic Store, whether there's that danger of misusing data to compete against customers as a risk. And so in terms of the metaverse and information and data, or or even even in terms of the current industry market, could you speak to how we should be thinking about the potential of information and data as as, as a
1: risk? Yeah, you know, this is another area where the big platform companies fool at us. you know, they, uh, they got game developers to sign up for Facebook uh, and use ship Facebook's uh, plugin um, in their apps and Google's plugin in their apps um, because it provided some nominal service to developers. But it turns out what they're really doing with those plugins is tracking everybody using your app and then selling access to your customers, to your competitors, and not paying you anything, right? That's, that's the, the core of their business model uh, as intermediaries. I think everybody's wised up to that, right? You see more and more game developers removing all of these nefarious plugins from their software um, and recognizing the extent of the data leaks when you use, you know, Google or Facebook components on your web page or in your mobile app, um, and exactly what they're doing, um, and exactly how it's against your customers' rights and also against your rights as a game developer. Um, but yeah, you know, everybody's wising up. I think the really critical thing is. For companies to have principles on data security and really clearly state them. I think Apple does a great job of there in terms of that in terms of customer privacy and where they explicitly tell you, we are not in the data business, we don't want your data. Um, we are never in a position to profit from accessing or selling your private data. Um, and you know, they have a business model that's based on profiting by selling smartphones, which they mark up awesomely, and they deserve them to. Um, so they don't need it, you know. And Google is in a different position, um, and Facebook's in a different one still. Yeah, I think, uh, especially when uh, a supplier, Facebook, Google, Apple, Epic is in a position of serving multiple customer bases, and is in some you know, cases in a business that's competing with customers. Like we have an we have an engine business, but you also make games. Our customers make games, and so our games are competing with other customers' games to the extent that you know all games are competing with each other. Um, I think it's really, really important to have uh, not just publicly stated policies, but binding agreements um, governing data privacy. And for example, we have Epic Online Services that we've launched recently that hosts two kinds of data. Um, there's Epic Accounts and Friends, which are Epic data. Like, If you use our friend system, then you have access to all of the friends connections, the, one, the more than two billion friend connections that have been built up through Fortnite. And when your players add their own friend connections, they go into the system, and Epic and all but developers using the framework have access to that and benefit um, from it. Um, and so that's one part of the service. The other part of the service is data that we host on behalf of game developers. Um, and that data is owned by the game developers. Uh, Epic has only has the contractual right to access the, for the point of for the purpose of providing the service to them. Like so. All the metrics data associated with all of these games using the epic online services are off limits um, to epic to use for any um you know company purposes we can only use uh, we can only serve ubisoft's data to ubisoft and you know and uh we're barred contractually from using using data for for other purposes and Those kinds of agreements are critical. You know, Amazon. I think Amazon is a good example. You have different parts of Amazon. Amazon Web Services is absolutely, um, you know, operating and the role as a trustworthy, um, uh, you know, data provider, uh, where they provide services. And Amazon does not rummage through your data stored on AWS uh, to analyze your customers' uh, behavior. Right? They do not have access to it. And you know, if somebody at Amazon accessed that, they'd, they'd probably be in jail. Right. So having those sorts of agreements more pervasively throughout the other parts of the business, they expect it. it um, is going to be really critical. I think that that's that's an area where companies need to do a better job, especially these big tech companies. there are in lots of different markets and explaining and contractually committing to firewalls between different parts of their business um, and where there's no firewall uh, being really explicit about that and what they might do with the data.
0: So I have one last question for you, Tim, which is in terms of other companies that could potentially deliver the metaverse besides Epic, who do you think about as potential leaders in in terms of that uh that opportunity? And then also, when do you think the metaverse could potentially be delivered in an economic and commercially viable way? Yeah, there's
1: a there's a really wide spectrum. Yeah, there's I think Fortnite Minecraft and Roblox are pretty widely recognized as the big contenders. Each in a different each is strong in a different area. I think Robot, Roblox has the best extant um, economy or the most robust extant economy of all of the games. And that there's a big market of creators building content and earning a living from it. Um, Minecraft has done the most with user generated content. And you know, with all of these worlds that build users have built up, Fortnite Creative is, you know, is interesting in that respect, too. And then Fortnite has the most compelling core game experience, which is a really critical element. Keeping people coming back by really entertaining them while they're in this thing, because just pure 3D social doesn't really work, right? You need fun to frame your social experiences. Those are the big contenders right now. There are a lot of upstarts, probably a dozen, um, each working on their own takes on creator economies um, and platforms. I think they're going to be very interesting. You know, they don't all necessarily have to be these massive 3D experiences. I think there's like probably a 2D sprite based version of this with retro graphics. There could be a 100, built, 100 million user ecosystem in the future. I think there are in really endless possibilities there. But, you know, there's also the prospects of new startups that we don't even know about, haven't heard of, haven't seen their games and uh, what they might do in the future. But, you know, I think, uh, I think we're going to really see gradual move. Um, in the direction of these becoming more less and less standalone games and more and more platforms um, for user content and more and more economies and you know, competition forcing these economies to be really fair and robust and competitive. So I don't think, you know, it's like, I, don't know, I go way back, right? In the 1990s, every, all the politicians were talking about the information superhighway and it was how it was going to connect people and uh, they didn't really put the one and two together and realize that we already, this internet thing, this weird Unix platform um, that had been existing for about 20 years was actually gonna become that thing uh, because we didn't have the web, we didn't have video. It was a pretty goofy nerd uh, nerd technology at the time. Um, but you know, the the, uh, the internet became that thing. And I think when we talk about the metaverse, what we're gonna see is uh, something that's not quite what we're talking about now, but it uh, has many elements of it and uh, we won't even know what it is until uh, more and more parts of it have emerged. Um, I think that's going to be the really exciting part of it um, you know, over the next five and ten years, is watching this medium take shape and uh, seeing how it evolves and how it comports with like the science fiction from the 1980s and how it totally diverges and does unexpected things. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, the rules of this whole new medium have only partially been written so far.
0: All right. Well... Thank you very much for joining us today, Tim. And I just wanted to ask if, if you have a final message
1: for our audience at all? Well, thanks. You know, I think uh, as, uh, as game developers and game players, you know, we're all going to play a part in, the, in creating this thing in the future. I think we should all be advocates for the world that we want. Because if we, we aren't forceful and in fighting, for the world that we want as gamers and game developers, then we're going to get uh, a very different world. And uh, by the time it's uh, set in stone, and uh, it's going to be too late to change it. And so I think uh, now is a really critical time. There's a lot of conversation about open platforms and app stores, uh, ironically, largely taking place in the context of, you know, kind of these 15 or 20-year-old store platforms, um, You know while there's the advent of a new medium that's just starting to shape up now. What happened in this uh, previous generation of platforms that everybody's working desperately to undo is kind of foreshadowing of what could go wrong here. Um, and so be vigilant and don't be afraid to uh, speak up and speak your mind um, in in uh, transforming the world into a better place. It's the only way uh, we're gonna succeed in this together.
0: Actually, I do have one last question for you, Sam. When do we see Epic's version of Adventure? I, I saw that you had actually, that's one of the few games you completed and you were working on that when you were younger. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, you know, actually, this game I released in 1991 called Z Z T was uh, I, I started out to build a text editor, and I just got bored by that, and so I turned the cursor into a smiley face, and uh, turned the characters you could type in into walls, and you built this world uh, out of it, right? But it's kind of a the original Atari Adventure style of uh, of you know, simple, iconic, uh, you know, graphical uh, exploration of the world, and it's amazing playing a game like that with such low fidelity graphics, like ZZT or Zelda or anything else, what your mind projects into it and the dreams and memories you have of that, which have nothing to do with what's actually uh, actually on the screen. But you know, I think even then, even in 1991, even in like 1985, we saw the potential for virtual worlds. Everybody who was developing games or playing them saw that, oh, wow, when you connect a bunch of players together into a multiplayer experience, um, it's a 3D world and users can contribute their own content to it, um, as the early MUDs pioneered and other games have done, then you're going kind to of get something magical that goes way, way beyond a bulletin board or a social network uh, or a traditional game. Um, and uh, you know, it's funny that, gosh, 35 years later, we're still all working on it, but we are so close now. It's, a, it's really uncanny how close we are.
0: All right. Well, that's it. Tim, thank you again for your time. And thank you for being so ambitious with Epic and for supporting small indie developers. I I think everyone in the industry definitely has a lot to thank you for. So appreciate the time.
1: Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. All
0: right. Bye. Bye.